0: Uh, We're going to deal with uh, John 3. There you go, you see, we started off in the wrong passage already. Uh, John 3, and uh, I think I was given the whole passage, uh, but it's, it's one of those awkward ones that we know so well that actually sometimes it kind of obscures the truth, doesn't it? Uh, I'm just going to focus on a few verses. We're going to start with verse 14, and uh, we're going to go through to verse 21. But we're not going to look at every one of those uh, verses, but this just gives you a bit of context. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, verse 14, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, as Mark reminded us uh, today. For whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed... In the name of God's one and only Son, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men and women loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and whoever does and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I wouldn't be as brash as to say I had a word for some of you, but uh, I believe that church ought to be experienced as a moment of encounter. And I think for some of us, we leave church the way that we came in. Uh, And for some of us, our spiritual and physical and every other part of our lives remain unchanged. And actually, I would like today uh, to um, pray for an encounter. As I was thinking about this uh, passage, I started to think about the whole issue about being condemned. And I think there may be one or two people lurking in this room who are carrying stuff. It may be memories, uh, it may be things that you find really difficult to forgive yourself about. It may be that you're carrying unforgiveness towards others or towards God. But the critical thing I want to deal with this is the issue of feeling accused. And if that's you, if you generally feel condemned or accused, or it's an easy position for you to kind of to find yourself in, then I'd like to pray with you afterwards. I always at school was in trouble, constantly, Uh, and I acquired a kind of a guilt trip, a pseudo guilt trip, kind of that stayed with me pretty much my whole school life. Somebody just needed to say my name, and I went bright red. I would get stopped by teachers during uh, lunch breaks, and they'd look into my eyes just to see if I'd done anything wrong. And uh, nine times out of ten, I probably had, but I would always go red. And I've carried this with me throughout my adult life. And somebody could ask me something, did you do such and such? I was stopped by the police once. And uh, he wanted to know how fast I'd, I was driving, and I convinced myself that I'd broken the speed limit. However, Jane was with me and was able to kind of to nudge me in the right direction and tell me that actually that I was driving perfectly safely and within the uh, and, and within the uh, 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 within the right speed. But my gut reaction, my default position, is to feel the pinch, is to feel guilty. And you know, we need to get beyond that, don't we? And I need to get beyond that. Vision makers and change theorists and management gurus tell us that in order to cast a vision that's capable of grabbing the head and the heart, your vision needs to be communicable to others within three short minutes. This condensation of the facts was used with great effect by the gospel writers John 3:16 summarizes the entire gospel it is the background canvas for the entire message of Christ Mark does the same In Resound, we're just about to launch a whole topic on Mark and we're going through it with a fine tooth comb. But Mark records Jesus' first sermon in chapter 1 and verse 15. And Mark says that Jesus said this. Now if anybody was recording my sermons, they'd need more than 15 or 16 words. But listen to what Mark says of Jesus. The time has come The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. How simple, how concise, how solid is that? The good news here is proclaimed as the nearness of the kingdom of God. The Gospel writers waste no time in telling you and I that the power of God is on the loose in this world in a new way. They proclaim the fullness of God in Jesus Christ and they make plain that Jesus through his authoritative words and through his deeds is inaugurating this thing that we refer to as the hidden kingdom of God. You see, we anticipate it, and our anticipations of it must stamp itself in expectation and in actions on our part. The old hasn't fallen away yet, the new hasn't come completely, and again we find ourselves living in the pinch of two moments. And I love that phrase, the hidden kingdom. Similarly, the early church, in speaking of the resurrected Christ, they declared this with great confidence, that Jesus Christ has risen and nothing can remain the way it was. Listen, Jesus Christ has risen and nothing can remain the way it was. Are you struggling with an issue in your life, be it a thought issue, be it a behavioural issue, is there an issue in your past that you find it really difficult to accept God's word over you, which is that you are condemned? No, it's not. It's that you're forgiven. It's God blinking at you, almost kind of carrying that away. No one was going, hang on, a minute. I was waiting for somebody to throw a shoe at me. I thought Phil might. Let's uh, stop the waffle and go to, uh, to our text. So verse 14 says this. Uh, John tells us that Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is code for Jesus saying that he is about to die. Mark has in view here this account in Numbers 23. No, No, uh, of the Israelites who were grumbling and complaining against God and against Moses. They had a struggle. Uh, They were victorious in their little mini war that they had. And then they discovered that they were without food, that provision was low. And they started to grumble against their leader and they started to grumble against God. And what did God do? God released... Snakes, poisonous little things that entered the camp and all of a sudden they started to bite people and people started to die. Do you have a rather cuddly soft version of God? Well I tell you what, this challenges just such an idea. In come these snakes, people start falling down and they go to Moses and they say to him, listen, go back to God please on our behalf. And God says to Moses, I want you to make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole and lift it up. And anyone who sees it, anybody that sees it, having been bitten, will not die. And John has in the back of his head that idea Jesus perfects through being lifted up the healing, not only of Israel, but you and I. And we're told in verse 15 that everybody who believes in him will have everlasting life or eternal life. The word eternal life doesn't simply refer to the duration of days. It's not simply some boring, uninspired ongoingness of life. Though it does... Thank you very much. For the mic I've just drunk on. Not only does it refer to a sense of existence and ongoingness, it also emphasises a totally new quality of life to be lived. As Christians, we're not simply sitting waiting for the coming of Christ. Our waiting, as I said earlier, must mark itself in our actions, stamp itself on our thoughts and on our behaviour. This word, eternity, speaks a depth and stimulates an expectation of growth and the possibility of living now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Eternal life brings with it the fullest blessings of God bestowed onto you and promises all that your soul and all that the world needs you to be. Isn't that amazing? This new gifted life is grounded in nothing other than the lifting up of Christ. We see a lovely tidy ending to this little unit in verse 21, where it said that, in fact we'll read it. Verse 21 tells us this. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We not only stand justified through Christ's restorative death, but everything that we are, that is worth talking about and pointing to, comes through the efforts of God, just so that you don't get a little bit big-headed. Working backwards, which I like to do. I often like to watch the telly with the sound down. But there we are. Working backwards and sandwiched between the incarnation of Christ, that is Christ's life, recorded in verse 17 of John 3, and the lifting up of Jesus that we've just read about in verse 14 and 15, we come to verse... 16. Look, I'm dyslexic in Lincoln, you should have got that. Verse 16, stands short and proud as a confessional summary statement of the gospel. This verse ought to be read with clarity and with a sense of excitement. But for far too many of us, it's been hammered about, it's been chucked around, we've messed about with it in our Sunday school lessons, and we treated it in a rather familiar slapdash way, and we blunted its meaning and its importance. I struggled actually to make sense of it for you today. I, just to get into the text was really difficult. I had to, it was kind of like undoing all the stuff that, that gets associated with it. Some of us are like that with church, some of us are like that with God. The alternative to this eternal life is to lose one's life. Chapter 12 and verse 25 speaks of the loss of one's life to be doomed to destruction chapter 17 and verse 12 or to perish john 3 verse 16 i love this word perish it's used with real peculiarity by some of the other gospel writers it's used in matthew 10 and verse 6 of the sheep that had gone astray it's used in luke of the prodigal son who had wandered off from the father's house. I believe for BCF that we are entering a season where there has been a call for the prodigal sons to come back. For those that have wandered off to be gathered again. For space to be created around the hearth. And we see it in resound and we see it here and we see it also in our this is the good news for those who believe they have become imperishable free from condemnation and approved of by God Are you bogged down with a sense of guilt for stuff? This is the word that I'm carrying. I believe God wants to release you of any words spoken over you that sit like a squatter, that stand there like some judgmental thing that you find really hard to move beyond. Because of the difficulty in dealing with John 3.16, I'm going to wander off now, and I hope you'll forgive me, to Romans 8. And then I'd like us to pray. Is that okay? Romans 8 verse 31 to 39 again is another lovely wonderful unit and I treat it um, uh, more fully uh, even then I struggled to treat it in the half an hour that was allotted me um, uh, a, a few, uh, about a month ago so it's still I think on the web uh, if you want to, uh, to get that. Let's just read verses 33 and 34. These verses are concerned with the impossibility of an accusation being levelled against you and being upheld before God. Isn't that incredible? Who will bring any charge... I love that word, any charge... It's a technical legal term. It means to set out a case against you. Who, says Paul, will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died, and more than that, who has been raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. The central point of that type unit verse 31 to 39 and read round it the danger with plucking out the odd verse here and there is you do violence to the text potentially you put your foot on the bible you pull it out and by virtue of yanking out one or two texts and decontextualizing it you stick your muddy footprints your foreprints, and your saliva all over the text but that said i think sometimes our voice ought to be heard over scripture the central point of this uh, passage in Romans 8:31 to 39, is that whatever we might understand to have been an act of God's judgment on us and over us, be it troubles, be it dangers that we are experiencing, be it pressures in life, or anything else that Paul talks about in that short passage... They all have lost their power to mean that God has either abandoned you or that God is condemning you. Do you hear that? A wedge cannot be set between you and God, though a child is trying to escape. (laughs) I find that incredible. I really, really do. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. The Greek could be rendered like this. God will surely justify his own. God will surely justify Tom. The good news Bible, I'm a bit of a scholarly snob. And I, and I always look down on the Good News Bible. I tell you what, it, it, there are some passages that it gets really right, and this is one of them. It says this, God himself declares them not guilty. That's a brilliant rendering of the Greek. The message, I, I tell you, that's another one I, I, I really struggle with. Listen, don't let that be your main text, your main Bible, right? Get... Get another one to, to, to put alongside it. The message, however, reads with real punch. And who would dare tangle with God by messing with what? By messing with one of God's chosen. Isn't that great. Who would dare even to point a finger? says the message. Listen, since it is God who justifies, your justification your sense of freedom from guilt your sense of being declared right before God cannot be undone it's already been spoken over you Christ isn't going to die again isn't that amazing it cannot be overthrown undone Verse 34, sometimes the writers of these passages, they really say the same thing again, but from a slightly different angle. And you can see it, kind of trying to push it into people's hearts. And I'm wanting to do the same into yours and into mine. Because this is the good news. That we don't need to feel guilty Verse 34, who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. You know, your heart might condemn you. Your mind might condemn you. But John 1 John 3, verse 20 and 21 says this, Whenever your heart condemns us, oh, sorry, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. It is Christ and not our hearts that matter. Jesus' death removes the possibility of condemnation for those who love Christ. When you meet with God, you will be met, as history will find its resting place, in the arms of God. Not the pointing finger of a very cross father, that some of us have grown up with, (coughs) We ought, therefore, to get over the modern preoccupation of living in the gut, of being moved and shaping our theology by the way that we do or do not feel. Your feelings do little to alter the facts. That a pronouncement has been made over you, that one day you will live in the good of, and experience and live it fully, that Christ calls you his own. And you are free from condemnation, guilt, and all the other things that try to squash us and hem us in and restrict us. Isn't that wonderful? I'd like to zoom forward in a rather clumsy way in uh, Romans 8 to verse 38. It says this, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any power, and it goes on in the following verse, can separate us from the love of God. Paul has ten things that he chucks in there. Eight pairs and two single, no, four pairs and two single (laughs) and two single uh, uh, things. Isn't it interesting that life is there? I can understand death being there because it's going to come to all of us. But not even death can separate you from the love of God. But life? Well, do you know, sometimes life does work against us. It does seek to separate you from an understanding of the love of God. But I love this. Not the present, nor the future, not even anything in your past, be it familial, inherited, uh, nothing behind you or in front of you can undo this claim that's been said over you. Our family histories are powerless against God's gracious, full love and choosing. Whether it be the present with its temptations and sufferings or the future with its uncertainties, nothing can place a wedge to separate you and I from God. We're going to pray. um, And finish. Have I gone over? Mm -hmm. Matt doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Can we all stand? Mm I'd like uh, us just to close our eyes and uh, if uh, there is something that you have struggled to overcome uh, and have struggled with a sense of uh, guilt, then what I'd like to do is I'd like you to, uh, while we pray, just to lift your hand up and... uh, Um, and I will pray for you. So in the silence, while everybody's eyes are closed, uh, if that is you, um, then I would like you to lift uh, your hand up so I can see and then you can put it down quickly. Thank you. I'd also like those of you uh, who are struggling with the issue of forgiveness also to do the same. If you are struggling either to forgive yourself or to forgive someone else, I would like you to put your hand up and then uh, put it down again. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for the good news. Father we thank you that it is good news. And I pray Heavenly Father that by the power of your holy spirit that there would be released in this room and in the hearts of all of us the power to overcome the power to overcome those voices which seek to accuse and condemn us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us new and fresh insight this week. I pray that you'd speak to us and that something of the love and the grace of Christ would make itself known in a new way. I pray for that unfurling grace of God to make itself known. For those of us that struggle to hear the voice of God, I pray that scripture will pop out this week for us as we make ourselves available and try and practice the presence of God. Father, we want to live in the good of this hidden kingdom. And I pray grace and I pray strength. And we thank you that we are made to be more than conquerors, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that eternity and eternal life, are banquet terms, they place before us a wonderful future which can be touched in some small measure now. And I pray for this coming week. For a, a sense of newness for those that had put their hands up, but for each one of us too, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.